everybody, and welcome to Attendance Pious mini episode number 16, talking about sand from December 8th, 1999, with Chris Casey. Yes, you heard right. We're trying something different this week on Attendance Bias. We're going to start to have guests come in for mini episodes, and instead of picking out a full show, they're going to pick out one specific jam that was important or meant something memorable to them. If you've been listening to Attendance Bias for a while, you may recognize the name Chris Casey, also known as Montroller, for his art series. Months and months ago, when I was first thinking about the idea of Attendance Bias, I was discussing it with Chris, and I brought up the idea of mini-episodes. I always originally intended to do them all by myself, but somewhere in the conversation it got lost, and Chris thought that I was asking him to be a guest for a mini-episode. Immediately, he knew he wanted to talk about sand from this show. After the explanation of the misunderstanding, I told Chris to hold the jam in his back pocket in case I ever want to have guests come on for mini-episodes. Well, the time is now, so when I reached out to Chris, he was immediately ready and willing to talk about this version of Sand from December 8th, 1999, at the Cumberland County Civic Center in Portland, Maine. Enjoy. Chris, welcome as the first official guest for the first two-way mini-episode of Attendance Bias. Great to have you back. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. This is finally great. After 21 years of saying nothing about praise of this particular song, this is kind of like my religious moment of walking up to your door and asking you if I can share the joy of the 12899 sand with you. And someone, thankfully you, has finally invited me into their house. So you're going door to door asking to spread the gospel of sand? That's exactly what I've been doing. See, I thought in this case I would be the God role in... (laughs) in opening the door for you, but I guess now I'm just some schmuck you're interrupting on Sunday (laughs) to hear the gospel. (laughs) But uh, for those of you at home listening, when I was first discussing the idea of attendance bias, and I thought of many episodes every other week from full interviews, Chris was one of the people who I was going back and forth with. And he said that if I ever actually do many episodes with guests, he would want to be first in line to talk about December 8th, 99 sand from the Cumberland County Civic Center, CCCC in Portland, Maine. And so I'm doing my best to make good on that request. So here we are to talk all about sand from December 8th, 99 at the CCCC in Portland. For those of you listening also, whether you're a new listener to Attendance Bias or you weren't there at the very beginning, Chris was the guest on one of the first episodes where we spoke about November 28th, 97 at the Worcester Centrum. If anyone wants to hear more about Chris's background, whether as an artist, a Montroller, as a fan or as a person, Definitely feel free to go back and listen to that episode because it's about a full hour long. But for those who are new to attendance bias, since this is a miniature episode, we'll get to know Chris in a miniature fashion by doing a fish lightning round. Attendance bias lightning round. So, Chris, for the lightning round, I'm just going to give you a quick fill in the blank topic or category without thinking, without thinking twice. Just give us your first answer. Are you ready? Gotcha. Let's All right. Lightning it. round. Chris, favorite fish song. I'm going to go with Reba because the jam never disappoints. Favorite venue? I'm going to go outdoor was probably Watkins Glen because you could roam the whole grounds and go right up to the stage. And I'll also take any indoor venue that's general admission. Summer tour, fall tour, or New Year's Eve? I'm going to go fall tour. 
Um, I feel like stuff can happen on any night and you get a longer run of shows, but I mean, New Year's Eve is always great, but I'm going to go fall tour. Of course, growing up in the, in New England, of course, you're going to go fall tour. Yes. Uh, indoor or outdoor? Indoor. Any song you're chasing? I've always wanted to hear, uh, have heard Tila and I've not heard that yet. So I am also chasing Tila. So whenever we go to a show together, they'll have to play it. Yes. Uh, favorite overall fish year. I'm going to go with 97. So that's it for the lightning round. Let's talk about this show, December 8th, 1999, not the full show, but just to get a general sense of where and when we were during this. So this show was played through the very beginning of the 1999 December tour, which was 14 shows total. And the whole tour, you could almost sense it when listening to the audience recordings. It built up to Big Cypress. The overall tour was about 14 shows in something like 19 days, which helps explain how and why the band was so prepared for the festival for Big Cypress. And this show is number six of the 14 shows. And so how many shows on this tour did you see? I jumped on up in Portland and I went all the way through Providence. So that was a run of six shows. And in this show, Sand, the jam we're going to discuss today, was played as the second set opener. This was only the eighth time ever that Sand was played by Fish. I had only ever heard it from uh, a Trey solo CD I had from uh, 510.99. That was just Trey, Russ, Rotten, uh, Russ Lawton, and uh, Tony Marcalis, just a three-piece. So when they broke into that right after set break, I knew it was familiar. I couldn't place it right away. But then I realized, oh, that's the song off the Trey CD. And a lot of other people around me were really trying to figure out what it was, too. I had a similar experience in October of 99 when I saw a pair of shows at the Nassau Coliseum when they played a whole bunch of new Farmhouse era songs. Not Farmhouse, the song, but uh, Meat Stick, Heavy Things, Get Back on the Train. And a lot of people were confused. I didn't know right. exactly what was being played. Yeah, because that's the age before the immediacy of the internet to hear it right after. What was that new thing they did? So you're well-versed going into a run of shows of all the stuff that's already happened. Yeah, it was right that before just, that era. It was right, and right that's, before that. Right, so things were actually new to you in real time, which was great. Right, people didn't have phones, cell phones generally. Right. Uh, you know, there was, I mean, the internet obviously existed, but it wasn't always updated in real time. You couldn't refresh anything that you had on your person. And so you had to find out after or find someone who is almost literally on tour to tell right. you the name of the new song. So to get right into it, why did you pick this song? Why Sand from this show? This was one of them that as I had just gotten like into, into the band during the summer where I had that moment of re going from really liking the band to completely getting it. And it was, during the Reba jam at Great Woods during the summer where I, after that was completely on board to see as much as I could to get those moments where things really clicked and the band just went for it. Going into this tour, I really wanted to get the entire grasp of what could happen. And former guest, Joseph Rosenberg, you know, picked mm -hmm. me up at my, uh, <laughs> he picked me up at my dorm room. I had, skipped out on the last two weeks of my junior year of college because I passed my papers in early. So I had two weeks of free time and we just 
went and did this whole uh, segment of shows. And so the first night we had gone in there and it was, things were really good. Um, and this was second night of Cumberland County. And it was also at that point in time where for people that might've heard the after midnight podcast, where they talked about big Cypress and that whole segment of how that came to be, they talked about the melding of fans that were into like going to raves and, and techno and stuff like that. And the jam band scene. And that was completely where I was at that point in time. Like I was a big fan house music going to raves and going to see live music. So I kind of knew the feeling of this song. So I was really excited to see where it went. And so to start it up, Mike is extremely loud and forward on this track. And this is by design, but it's still fairly new for this song that Mike is really forward. He always starts it, of course, but they kind of keep that just bass and drums going for a lot longer than I think we would expect in 2020 or 2021. Right. And I think the mix on that particular one, because no one was getting into soundboards or at least not for that show. It's very bass heavy. You get a lot of sound of the room. I remember the tape that I got initially from that show that maybe I had the great fortune of like getting it a week and a half later. Had a, it was still bass heavy, but it had a lot crisper sound to the room. So this almost from the fish IN version is a little bit um, muddier in a way, making it slightly harder to maybe want to get into listening to, but you know, it's definitely not terrible. And audience recordings from 1999 and 2000, really good recordings are few and far between because the band yeah. was playing ever expanding venues, larger and larger. And the recording technology at the time, it's gotten exponentially better. And so at the time, it's always very airy and it's very bass heavy. It's the, there's a huge bottom in every tape I have from this era. And it, most of the time, you can't even hear a page. Right. He's real low in the mix. There's certain points where you can pull out what he's doing, but he's almost adding texture and ambience in a way that uh, let's go back to it. Joe Rosenberg noting in his episode how really in 99 fish, they were making that move towards ambience and texture and being patient with it. And this was a prime example. Yeah, that happens in this jam almost immediately. So the song itself, the sand, the portion of sand that makes up the song with the lyrics and the typical rhythm is over about four minutes in, if not even a few seconds sooner. And the funk siren kicks in. I don't even know if by then it was still called the funk siren because it's serving a different purpose, even though it's kind of the same, so right. same sound. Uh, but this is this is not funky. It's I wrote this is not a real word, but it's droney. You know, there's no rhythm guitar. It's so much more atmospheric right off the bat. Right.
yeah, it's you get that that funk siren thing that just kind of layers out into some synthy pads that Paige is laying down and Trey's not going into a whole lot of notes right away. It slowly builds into like some tasteful note choices that he puts in sparsely, but they're put in very methodically, like into the right place to start building. Because as I've claimed about this particular show, the feel of this jam overall is like driving down a highway, but you see a storm approaching, like <laughs> a mega storm that you're going to drive closer to and directly through. And so this is just kind of that beginning. We're adding the fact that, yeah, we see like some jet black clouds ahead, like things are going to start to get like pretty, pretty serious, pretty quick. It happens pretty quick around six and a half minutes. Trey uses his, and this is not the best word. I wrote that he uses his stressed guitar tone. I don't know which pedal or effect it is. It's about six and a half minutes. And it has, to me, it has 1999 fish written all over it. It's not dissonant, but it is kind of amelodic. And for the most part, the band stays stationary jam wise. You know, this is from the six and a half to seven and a half minute uh, segment and they're building a soundscape instead of moving in fast forward, which I've learned through hosting this podcast, the moving in fast forward happened a lot in the summer of 1999, but mm. it kind of stopped not entirely, but for the most part for this December and fall tour that they kind of moved a lot more towards soundscapes and slowly building to a peak that you find yourself in the middle of without really quite recognizing how you got there. Because what you're saying is around that seven minute mark, you can notice, and he's doing it on his boomerang looper. He's getting okay. the first real, um, it's like that drone pad that he can just add as an overall under texture to his sound that he's playing on top of. And that's where I noticed that first real layer go on. What I need to say is it's the 721 mark of this song that completely changed my whole outlook on this because all of a sudden there's this really quick note build up note descend and then it's he just hits this chord on top of it that is the equivalent of just listening to a bomb drop <laughs> and this like it just blew my mind you can hear in the audio the crowd reaction to that and it's at that point that they just have this feeling of that they're off and running and they're just looking to take no prisoners and go for it.
And it's notable how hesitant the band and Trey in particular seems to be to commit to a riff compared to even just a year earlier when they were still jamming with cool melodies and riffs and playing off one another, which is what we're used to with Fish. Trey begins to tease a riff around like eight and a half minutes, but he doesn't quite commit to it. And Mike and Fishman are just glued to this rhythm. And you have to really make a concerted effort, like we said earlier, to hear Paige. But by now, there's already a huge difference in the layering and the atmosphere compared to the first few minutes of the song, around eight minutes compared to, say, four minutes. I feel now, as a group, there's a much more concerted effort to make this more of a driving force. And you're right. There's nothing that's inherently melodic about this. We're getting into more of a really hard soundscape psychedelia thing, like thinking back to something like the 12697 Tweezer Isabella. There's that section in there where he hits that like little two note back and forth thing, and the whole jam shifts direction and goes into this psychedelic mayhem that's what the overall feel of this jam is to me where we're getting just a lot of driving guitar licks that are as much about his tone as the feedback that's being derived out of those notes. I'm glad you brought up the 12697 Isabella tweezer into Isabella because there's a part in this jam a little bit before 10 minutes where Trey is really pushing upper limits and it reminded me of machine gun from band of gypsies where there's like these squealing and this squelching at the top. sure matches the moment but i was wondering if if you remember where you were and what the world was like at at this time if everyone was into it because it seems very it's not very approachable if you just came to see this band because you had heard some of their studio stuff or even like my first introduction which was i had a mixtape from one of my sister's friends that had fee and bouncing around the room if that's your mindset going in of it's kind of like this maybe that doesn't do it for you all i know is i'm watching this unfold i'm up against the rail up on page side like elevated up a little bit and all i'm thinking is there's no way this can get more intense like my face is being melted off and every time trey came back around with a layer of the next lick i'm like it's happening they're going there it's getting even further out there 
Be right, but he never comes back. I wrote that um, he keeps teasing that he may go back to a more straightforward guitar line, but he always goes back out to do more layering. And the band is slowly, steadily, and kind of subtly building this ambient noise around it. The guitar right. that is. Throughout the process, he keeps adding layers onto that boomerang. So underneath him, you just have this searing guitar that sounds like a jet plane. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he's hitting the two note trill and he's doing the same effect that he did from around 721, which I think is on the whammy pedal. And he's just building the pitch of this, building the pitch, and it's continuing to get the rest of the band to follow along. Page is on the piano doing this ascending piano part where the whole band finally peaks out and it just explodes. And Trey just has absolutely searing guitar coming over the top of that once the band explodes. Right, it's like being in the, like for the storm equivalent, you're in the middle of an F5 tornado at that <laughs> point. It is insane. at 15 minutes it it increases fishman i wrote that he increases in volume and his symbols he finally discovers the other parts of his drum set because yeah. for the whole the whole 15 minutes up to that point it's just the typical sand beat which is you know that that's what serves the song but now he's getting into it and once one band member steps out it's almost like permission that someone else other than trey can deviate from the typical part of this song and it's hard to imagine where they're going to go from here. There's only three minutes left in the recording. We know now right. in retrospect, and you compared it to an airplane engine a little bit earlier. By the time right. the song is winding down around 17 minutes, it really feels like a jet is powering down. And that's when I realized Mike hasn't left the baseline at all in 18 full minutes. Yeah, no, he's been locked in the whole time. Like, and that's a hard task. Like you think it's easy just to do the same thing repetitively. It's not for 18 minutes. So kudos to him. I can imagine this totally ripping people's heads apart. I can imagine people, especially those best friends we know at the back of the lawn who need to yeah. just kind of have their own space. I can imagine them being totally thrown into, like you mentioned, an F5 tornado by this. I could also imagine others who might get bored by it and who might just see it as a lot of drone and drone and drone and pity them because for the next year and a half, that's what Fish's sound would be. Right. How are you feeling after it? I, that was the most mind bending thing I had ever seen them do. Like I had listened to all the tapes before that. And you have things like that tweezer Isabella, or even going back to like that gin real me from 95, you hear that and you wonder, will I ever see something like that affects me like that in real time? And that was it for me. 
So right after that song finished up, I was just looking around. I was trying to figure out where Joe was to just be like, what the fuck was that? That was the most insane thing I've ever seen. And he's like, I don't know. And he holds up backstage passes. He's like, I got after show passes. He always finds his way. <laughs> but yeah, as, as a, a collective whole, I think everyone was extremely blown away by what just happened. So Chris, as a fish Jehovah's Witness, as a <laughs> Jehovah's Witness knocking on people's doors, do you feel satisfied that you've sufficiently spread the word of sand from December 8th, 99 at the CCCC in Portland? You know, I hope I have just brought it to everyone's awareness and to at least give it a listen. It's worth consideration. I might have what they refer to as, and stop me if you haven't heard this term before, attendance bias. Once or twice. Yeah. But it's one of like the handful of moments I have from the band that will stand out forever. Like I still get the same feeling listening back to that, like that, that what that thing is that happened at the 721 mark. It gives me the same feeling every single time I listen back to it. And that's it for today's mini episode of Attendance Bias with Chris Casey. I'd like to thank Chris for coming to join me today to talk about Sand from December 8th, 1999 at the CCCC in Portland, Maine. Next week, it is all in the family on Attendance Bias because my guests are father and son, Jeff and Ben Fortgang. Jeff and Ben chose to discuss the fish show from July 15th, 2016 at the Gorge, the legendary outdoor amphitheater in George, Washington, and I hope you join all three of us next week. So thanks again for joining us on Attendance Bias. I'd like to thank Chris again, Fish.net for providing all the information we ever need, and Fishin, Fish.in for such an incredible sounding recording of this track. If you enjoy Attendance Bias, please support the show by leaving a rating and a review of the show on your favorite podcast app of choice, or just tell one person about the podcast. Call them, text them, tell them, or whatever. Just spread the word however you can. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next week on Attendance Bias. Attendance Bias.